today I have the challenge of trying to share some things you might want to know about me and the direction I imagine our ministry together going. And at the same time, I want to preach from the Word because the Bible is central to everything to me. The Bible is a, is a, is a topic I am deeply passionate about. And bringing the Bible to life and application in our lives is one of my most sacred duties, I feel, It is central to everything I think. It's central to everything I do. It really has become the the source of my life's information. Now, the Bible is not the solely exclusive expression of God's word, but it's the most reliable and the easiest to get your hands on. So I recommend it to everyone. Take a daily dose of scripture. My goal in ministry and in my life is to form in myself a biblical, Christian, Judeo-Christian worldview, and not only for myself, but for others. So what I hope happens as a result of our life together in ministry is that we'll look at everything that we see and experience in the world through the eyes of the Word, that is, the mind of God, the Logos and uh, with that in mind, I don't want to say anything more without reading some scripture. So this scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of John. I'm going to read from chapter 21, verses 1 to 19. If you want to follow along in your pew Bible, you certainly are encouraged to do so, or you can read the word on the screen. But let's hear God's word from the Gospel of John. Afterward, Jesus appeared again uh, to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. 
And here's where the, the meat of today's reading is for, for our, my purposes. So when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So... My calling to ministry begins with my earliest memories. I can remember that as far back as my, my early toddlerhood, I can remember having a strong sense of God's presence. I really had this feeling that God was with me. And it didn't really manifest itself in any peculiar ways. I mean, I wasn't some, you know, saintly little kid with a halo and <laughs> far from it. <laughs> ask my mom. In fact, now that we live closer, you just might get to ask her yourself. And yet there was this undeniable sense of God's presence in my life. I was raised in the Roman Catholic Church. I received the catechism. I was an altar boy till I was 19. And I was even toying with the idea of being a Catholic priest or possibly a Franciscan friar. But none of those things came together because early in my life, there were a series of really demoralizing experiences, things that just took away all of my self-confidence. And... As I grew older, that manifested in the way of making mistakes and decisions that I regretted, things that only kind of illustrated how I felt about myself and my worth. And I really had reached the point where I didn't feel worthy of that strong sense of God's presence. Not that it went away, but I simply wanted it to go away because I felt like a loser. I really did. I felt like a world-class loser. Remember when all the kids used to go around doing this, right? That, that's how I felt all the time. And when I hit the lowest point in my life, I still felt that sense of God's presence, but now I felt God lifting me gently out of this defeated state of mind. I felt that God still loved me. I felt that God deeply cared about me and really had a plan for my life. That there was something God wanted to do with me and through me and that, that, uh, that hadn't changed just because I had hit a place in my life where I felt like such a failure. 
I should say none of these failures were particularly colorful. I think I've met a lot of people with more interesting stories to tell about failures. But, you know, the fact is the way I felt about myself pretty much destroyed any chance of doing anything of worth, at least as I imagined it. And yet God took those experiences of my life and turned them into the building blocks that would shape me into the person I am today. Now, we can all relate to that, I'm sure. But I would even go so far as to say that our errors and our, our bad steps and our bad words and the deeds that we're ashamed of, that God turns those into fertilizer. That's what they are anyway. Don't overthink it yet. Now, after I've been here for a few years, you can just laugh right along with me on that. But since it's my first Sunday, you have to assume I just meant what I said and nothing more. (laughs) Staff already has a different idea, though. And so this fertilizer is essential to the growth of new fruitfulness. And this is how I began to feel about my life. I saw the the way that these experiences had shaped me. If I read my resume to you, I think you would be, I don't know, either bored or you would be fascinated because it's just long. I've done everything. I mean, I've got such a strange and, and, and varied experience list that sometimes it even boggles my own mind. But when I come to you today as your pastor... It comes with a strong sense of how Peter must have felt that day in the passage that we read. You see, in this reading today, Peter's confronted with the same dilemma that I had. He's, he's walked with God all his life. I really have enjoyed doing some extensive study of the various characters of the Bible, and I wish I could really get into Peter's life with you today, but this just isn't the time or the place for it. But Perhaps in the future I'll get the chance, but understanding that Peter was a religious person and that he had uh, in his own way this strong sense of God's presence in his life for as long as he had lived. And it wasn't a surprise then to him to encounter the Messiah and to eventually follow the Messiah. But you can understand that at this point in the story of Peter and Jesus, he is utterly defeated. He's used to doing bold and brash things that would embarrass him a little bit with Jesus. But, but he has this vivid memory of totally denying Jesus three times, even after he promised Jesus he'd go right to the executioner's block with him, you know. And now he sits there eating food with Jesus And Jesus starts up this peculiar conversation where he asks him three times, will you feed my sheep? Do you love me? And so he's confronted with the same dilemma because if you'll do the parsing of the language of the Bible as it was written, you find out that what Jesus was asking him was actually three different questions. And the three questions were basically, Peter, I know you don't think you're good enough, but I want you to feed my sheep. And so what Jesus is eventually getting around to with Peter is, is I will take the best you can give. I will take you as you are. And then without question, and you can't get out of this calling, Peter. You can't get out of this. You're going to do it, and you're going to do it as you are, who you are. And I will be with you. Now that's what I 
experienced. As I came to this place in my life 25 or so years ago where I had to accept that there was a lot of junk about my life that I was disappointed with, but it was time to stop crying and make excuses. It's time to stop living as though those things defined me. And so I had to hear the Lord say to me as plainly as he did to Peter, your best is good enough. Who you are is what I want you to be. Now, I remember, too, that Peter was the same Peter who said way back in another place in Scripture, I want to read that to you, uh, or at least refer to it here in my notes, uh, John 6, 68, where, where Jesus had just told some people some things that they really didn't like. They didn't know how to handle what he was saying. And uh, a bunch of the apostles, or a bunch of the disciples left, but the apostles were still there. And he looked to the apostles, to the 12, and he said, Say, guys, you leaving too? And Peter, in, I believe, in desperation, uh, the kind of desperation that really defines faith, he looked to, Peter, or to Jesus and he said, Lord, where else will we go? You're the only one with the words of life. You're, you're the only, you're it. Now this is the same guy who goes back to Jesus utterly defeated because he has failed Jesus, he thinks. And Jesus says to him, you know what? Your best is still good enough. In other words, what happened for Peter was the realization that that same desperate commitment to Jesus that caused him to say, I've got no place else to go. Also caused him to say, okay, Jesus, if my best is enough, I'm your man. Well, so I finally gave in to God's call in my life with that same desperation. See, there came a point in my life where three consecutive instances of United Methodist clergy had said to me, Dan, I just can't deny this sense that there is a calling on your life to be a pastor. (laughs) Well, of course, in those days, you have to understand that I didn't have any real understanding of what that meant because I hadn't grown up around pastors of United Methodist churches. The closest I ever came when I was a child was being in a Boy Scout troop that met at a United Methodist church which really didn't teach me anything about United Methodists. But what did happen, though, as these pastors entered my life, was I began to understand that God had called me to be a pastor of God's flock. And I wasn't going to get out of it. And I'm kind of glad I didn't become a priest, because frankly, I would have been a lousy priest. I just, I'm going to tell you that right now. But by now, Laura and I were married and starting our family, and uh, I had had numerous experiences. If I tried to tell you my life story, we'd be here till my battery runs out, and I've been told that's like four hours. So, so suffice it to say that I had enough experience with the United Methodist churches that when Laura and I started going to the last Catholic church we attended. And this is no disrespect to Catholic churches, but I'm well aware that uh, there are a lot of you here with the same background story that we have. We had both been previously married and divorced, and uh, in both cases, it was just 
the way things happen sometimes. Neither one of us were very married very long, but but just long enough to realize that it was just another manifestation of unhealthy thinking. And so to make a long story short, we found that our church didn't want us anymore. We found that our church didn't welcome us anymore because we made mistakes. And I said to Laura, you know, we've got a daughter in the preschool up there at Old Capitol United Methodist in Corridon, and we already know where the bathrooms are and where to park, and we've met the preacher. <laughs> and she said, yeah, sounds good to me. So we started going to the United Methodist Church. And like I said, it wasn't my first time at a United Methodist Church, but it was the third time a United Methodist pastor said to me, you know, you really seem like you're called into ministry. Have you ever thought about that? Well, he didn't know, but I knew that there had been long nights where I couldn't sleep, where the Lord and I wrestled over such things. And it always came down to the same thing. I just didn't think I was good enough. And then one day, this passage that we read earlier sort of shined a new light on me. And I understood that all I can be is who I am. And... That happens to be good enough for the Lord. And it turns out that it may have actually helped that I didn't grow up modeling some sort of pastor that I'd always admired. It really kind of helped that when I started in pastoral ministry, I literally had no idea what I was doing. In fact, the district superintendent said, congratulations, you're the pastor of Lanesville and Crandall Charge, and uh, here's a book of Wesley Sermons, and here's the United Methodist Book of Discipline. (laughs) And I went to my basement in my parsonage, and I opened up the Wesley Sermons and read through them. I opened up the Book of Discipline, and I read about the first half of it, and then I just started doing what it said. I've never really tried to be like anybody in particular as a pastor. I just do Dan. So what you see is what you get. I do, however, have a deep commitment to the doctrine and tradition of Wesley. And I think when the United Methodist Church follows that, it does very well. And that's a conversation for another day. But rest assured, I'm very aware that there are a lot of problems in the United Methodist Church right now, but if I will stick to the Bible and try to lead you in the way of Wesley with a healthy dose of Dan, (laughs) covered by the Holy Spirit, we're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. This is a family after all, and apparently you just needed a character like me to complete the puzzle. I'm feeling pretty good about it. I don't know about you. Because this is really kind of a homecoming for us. Some of you have picked up on that already. We're people from southern Indiana. Laura and I are both people who, who are uh, uh, looking down our, our family tree. You'll see that we both have a lot of Roman Catholic German in us. We're both southern Indiana people. And uh, we're both people that were, were uh, born in, in Clark and Floyd counties across from Louisville. We didn't even know there was another part of Indiana north of a certain point until we started moving there through the church. By the grace of God, we're back in our home country. That's how it feels to us. We're kind of enjoying trees and hills and rivers and streams. We haven't seen a lot of that lately. 
And most of all, we're just enjoying being around people we get, who seem to get us. And it isn't to say that any of those other places, it wasn't like that. It just came slower. And already, I was having a conversation with Jessica in the office the other day, and I said, you know, I've only been here a couple of days, but it feels like I've been here for months. And that's a good thing. And you all have helped to make that happen. I am a second career pastor, and as I said, I've got a long and colorful resume, but this territory is not unknown to me because in my first career, I travel around here a lot. And so uh, I'm not going to say that I have an intimate knowledge of this community, but I certainly know where the roads go. And uh, you can name places, and I probably will have heard of them or been there. The main thing I'd like you to know about me is my deep sense of commitment to staying with you for a long time. I wish I could explain in a way that would give you the, 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 the sentiment in my heart, but all I can tell you is, is I don't have another move in me. I don't want to do this again. I'm tired. I want to stay with you. I want to be with you. My family loves it here. We are happy in our new home, and this church feels great to me. And George is right, I do feel as good about being here as you apparently feel about me being here. And I can assure you that that sense of commitment will get us through any rocky spots we might encounter together. Because, you know, that's what makes for a good marriage. And I guess by now you old veterans know that this pastoral appointment thing is a lot like an arranged marriage. You know? <laughs> Confidentially, I'm really pleased that the cabinet got it right this time. They can and they do, but sometimes they don't. Not for lack of sincere and genuine effort, though. I am a shepherd at, at my heart. It is true. As Wes has said, he, he was very astute to point that out because, because it is really what I feel called to be. And I feel like my goal and my job is to be the shepherd of Psalm 23 that describes the good shepherd as the one who leads you to green pastures and clear, cold, delicious water, which I would define as God's word and the spirit of God and the place where God dwells. But there is and will always be a tendency among the flocks of God to have those ewes and rams who are strong-willed and stubborn and they need shepherding sometimes more than others and yet they're usually a little resistant to it. And so I am not unafraid to be a pastor who will say, that's weeds and that's bitter water. We're not going there. You just need to know it's part of my DNA. I love you. I love you because the Lord loves you because he made me the pastor of his flock and he just basically said, these are your people, take care of them, and therefore I cannot help but love you. Now I think I will learn to love you as individuals who will become like my brothers and sisters and my aunts and uncles and maybe a few weird cousins here and there. And I have learned in the last 20 years or so that a pastor has 100 mothers. So bring it on, moms. I can take it. <laughs> I've already met grandma this morning. That's so how I got introduced to her. And I said, okay, 
You can always use another one. I have found at this point in my spiritual journey, and in particular as it is expressed as a pastor, that I am driven by forces beyond my control. And I so want to just kind of conclude with that before we go to the Lord's table together. I'd like you to understand that as much as I want to please you, it's more important to me to please the Lord. And it isn't a choice anymore. It's because I can't help it. In the same way, when I worship God, I worship God because I can't help it. And you're going to hear that a lot because I'm going to challenge you to do the same thing. If I look at you and I say we worship God because we just can't help it, I expect a hearty amen. Because that means let it be so. What if we were people who worship God because we just can't help it? What would that be like? And here in the last few years of my life, which have had some interesting challenges that have shaped me and grown me and prepared me for this time with you, I have found that my faith is something that I can't help anymore. And that's really profound if you think about it, because I didn't know that was possible. But faith is no longer so much of an act of will on my part as something I can't help Which means that if you tell me there are storms on the horizon or the money's running low or we've been beat up by the angst that has existed in our congregation, I'm just going to look at you and say, I'm sorry, but I can't help trusting God. I think it'll be okay anyhow. I mean, I'm not naive. Lord knows that I'm not. I'm too worldly for my own good sometimes. But I will tell you that I've reached this place in my spiritual journey where I just can't help trusting God. I feel like Peter when I say, there's no place else to go. It's not an option. It's not like I could follow anybody else at this point in my life. I'll put my faith in God. I just have to. And as we work together to do the Lord's work here, as we look for those places where God is at work in our midst, and we join God in doing those things, we'll just have to have a little faith once in a while. A little faith in God, a little bit of faith in each other, and belief that the Holy Spirit reigns supreme. Because after all, it's not Pastor Dan's church now. It's still the Holy Spirit's church. It's just a new guy at the wheel. And the truth is, is this isn't about me, and it isn't about you either. The truth is, is as long as we don't give in to the temptation to take ourselves too seriously, and I being chief among the sinners then we're going to do fine. And God will be glorified. And nothing could matter more than that. Now, as we get ready to go to the Lord's table together, one of the things we hope to remember is that God inhabits our faith and our praise. And therefore, we have to put faith in the, the sacramental nature of what we're about to experience. So I want to just kind of remind you of the words Jesus said that seemed to cause so many to walk away from him because it was too hard for them to take that conversation that led to Peter's declaration of utter dependence on Christ. In John chapter 6, verses 53 to 68, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. 
For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. And it was those words that caused people to fall away from Jesus. Because it sounded too crazy and weird to them. But what he said was plain. He is the way, the truth, and the light. And to eat something is to consume it. That is to take it to the very depth of your being, you know, to just absorb it into yourself in a way that, that completely infuses itself into your whole system. And so what Jesus is saying is, is to absorb Jesus and to make Jesus that complete in your being so that your being and the being of the Lord are one as the Father and the Son are one. Then all of a sudden something really remarkable has happened. And that's what we're supposed to believe about each other. That's what we're supposed to believe as we go to the Lord's table, that this is a reminder to us of this unique union where we consume the bread and so the body of Christ becomes absorbed in the depth of our being and we consume the cup which is the representation of his blood or the blood of the lamb spread on the doorpost so that God's wrath might pass us by. Can you imagine having Christ in your being and some sort of outer thing that says to the world, I'm not the same anymore, you know. Then you have the blood on your doorposts and you have the body in your soul. This is what Jesus meant, but they couldn't take it. They didn't know how to accept it, but we do. And we do it by accepting some literal things that give us a connection with spiritual things. In our life together over these years to come, we'll talk a lot about the difference between the spiritual and the material. But communion remains one of those places in church tradition where the two meet and that's why we call it sacred so i pray that as you experience communion today you experience something really sacred jesus told his apostles on the night before he died again reading from scripture he explained it to them this way he said I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, 
as we prepare to receive, remember that Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Think about that. Are you ready to declare your love for Christ? Peter said it three times, three different ways, and it still worked. Are you ready to repent of your sin and forgive the people who have sinned against you? If you are, you're ready to receive. Then your spirit is ready to absorb the very being of our Lord. Let us pray. Lord, pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. Pour uh, by your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in one holy church, all honor and glory are yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. Amen. Amen.